Good evening. Good to be together tonight. Good to see everybody we got with us. Some things we want to look at when it comes to our faith and growth. When we think about how we are growing, what things, what signs, what things can we see from the Scriptures that indicate that I am a growing Christian, that I am maturing, that I am a disciple of Christ that is committed to God? We want to look at faith and how essential it is. Faith is essential to everything that we do and our things that we practice, the things that we do within the church. And I think we need to think about that. I think some people today can throw around the word faith. They can slap a bumper sticker in the back of their car that says, I believe, and we don't really know what they're talking about. Uh, a lot of people today will walk around and say, just have faith. And I think sometimes they're saying, just have faith that things are going to work themselves out, that eventually whatever bad things you're going through is just going to come and go. And that may be true, but if faith is not with God and not committed to Him, we cannot please God. In fact, the Scriptures say that we cannot please God without faith, a trust in Him and what He says He's going to do. Our faith comes to the point of even affecting our worship, and I think this ties into our lessons on the assembly recently as well. God regards the righteous offering of faith. I know that because the Scriptures teach it, and we're going to look at that this evening as well. Uh, As we see in the Scriptures, there was one man who brought what he wanted to God, and there was another man who brought what God wanted and what God required. You remember them, Cain and Abel. And the Scriptures say very clearly there that Cain did not do what he did. He did not make his offering from faith, but Abel did. Even our offerings and our worship to God consist of our faith and our trust in Him, in His Word and what He has told us. And what was the result of that? You remember with Cain and Abel? Ended up Abel. Cain killed Abel, right? Okay, so over what? An offering. Over worship. And I think that's very important. How much anger, contention, resentment, and hate has resulted from an offering, not from faith? I don't know if you've ever heard this before, if you've kept up with it. Some within the church have talked about there being worship wars. I really don't think we have much of that. I think we need just to stand our ground on what the Scriptures say. And there have come along some that have questioned and pushed some things. But as far as worship wars, the denominations over the last 20 years have been wrapped up with this. And that is that churches are changing their style. These different denominations have been changing their styles. And some of them are wanting bluegrass to hip-hop and rock and everything in between. They want different styles and different formats. In fact, a lot of churches now will have five different services for different types. Uh, Mostly it has to do with music. And I think that's a a very fascinating thing, and yet people will be angry over it, be contentious over it, and fight over it. When the truth is, we go back to Scriptures, we go back to our faith in God, there shouldn't be any of that. We go to the Bible, we read it, we see the truth there. And the Scriptures tell us as well, don't dispute, don't wrangle over words. We want to learn from that. I think some people today will say, well, I gave this to God and I gave my best of what I wanted to give to him because it's what came from me, so God has to accept it. And some might say, God, why don't you take what I give you? we got to give what God wants us to give, give according to faith, and we're going to look at that this evening. So how can I know if a doubtful action is a sin? You ever thought about that? If you have your Bible tonight... Uh, you want to read this, Romans chapter 14 and verse 23. Romans 14, verse 23, the very last verse of verse 23, tells you about that. 
The Bible says if you doubt in doing something and it does not come from faith, it is sin. That's right. If you don't have faith, and then someone might say, well, I have faith in it, and they might justify whatever their actions may be, however they want to live, however they want to worship. They'll say, by faith, I think God accepts me even though I've been divorced and remarried three or four times and it's never been for a biblical reason. Or we can go across the list of different actions where people today will try to justify themselves. You think about sin, though. Think of this. Uh, most of us will recognize, and most people throughout the world will say, well, we know extortion's wrong and murder's wrong. We know that thievery's wrong. We, and we can go down the list of theft and slandering people. Lay all of that out there, and most people in the world today will say, yeah, I think that's wrong, but when do people sin? It's not because they're not saying that those things are wrong. It's because they think that they're the exception. You think about that. Think about the times that you sin. It's been, well... I'm in a special circumstance. Nobody's been in this situation before. I'm justified. What they do, and what we do, I've done it, is we act contrary to our faith and a faith that's based on the Word of God. How can I know if a doubtful action is a sin? First of all, I doubt. I don't know that it comes from God's Word, and I can't really have faith, biblical faith, in it. Take a look at this. There is condemnation in doing something without faith. This is what Paul says. Here's that passage. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. How can someone know if an action is from faith? You know how. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. I know I can do something. I know that I'm right in doing it. I trust in God and the worship that I'm offering to Him and what I'm doing for Him because I have faith in it and I know that it comes from the Word of Christ. We look at faith. Faith is so essential. I think we kind of go over it. We go through the plan of salvation and we think, well, first you've got to believe after you hear. After you've got to hear, you've got to believe, you've got to confess. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized. You've got to live faithfully. I don't know. I just sometimes that, that faith from the very beginning and even saying live faithfully may not mean what we think it means. Look here in Hebrews chapter 11. Here is the faith chapter, right? So here you have discussions of exemplar faith and examples throughout the Old Testament of those who acted by faith. And here's some principles we gain from that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That is eternal life that you have an assurance and a commitment and you know that you have eternal life. And someone says today, well, I have faith and yet they know so little about what they really hope for. And the Bible says again, it's the assurance of those things. And the second thing we see here is that faith is the presentation of things not seen. Now, different translations say the evidence of things not seen. In other words, that all things have come into creation, the things that we are hoping for, the eternal life in paradise. All those things we're looking forward to having again, come from faith. Thirdly, faith means believing that God's Word created the universe. And some people today will say, again, they'll classify faith as anything, and then they'll exclude the fact that God spoke the universe into existence and try to come up with another way of explaining how everything has come to being. Number four, one must believe that God is the rewarder of those who seek Him. In fact, 
let's emphasize Hebrews 11, verse 6, because it says you cannot please God without faith. So I, I say I have faith. How do I show it? We know what the Scriptures say. Faith produces works. Faith without works is dead. There's more to it. James said in James 2 and verse 19, he says, You say and you believe there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. There's more to faith than simply saying, I believe in the one God. We want to focus on our reward. Hebrews, the faith chapter, gives these pictures to us. And if we want our faith to be genuine and we want to be motivated and we want works to come from our faith, good things to be produced in our life, we want to bear fruit as Christians It really does come down to our faith and our hope. And the fundamental thing to hope, as we read in Hebrews, we looked at Hebrews 11 and verse 1, is faith. Abraham looked to a heavenly country. He looked to a heavenly country. Not just to the promised land that God gave him. He was looking further. He wanted something more. We see this as well. By faith, Joseph gave instructions for his bones. He anticipated that Israel would come out of Egypt. And he said to them, And prophecy and prediction, when you leave, take my bones with you and bury them. And why would he have his bones taken? What was the emphasis? Why not leave your bones there? It's just bones, right? It's just a body. It meant everything to the Jews. It meant everything to the Israelites of those times. And even in the time of Joseph and before and to the patriarchs, their bones and their burial meant everything because it represented to them and it demonstrated their faith in the afterlife, in the resurrection. Hebrews 11 and verse 26, Moses, again, it said he looked to the reward, and the Scriptures give details of the reward he looked toward, one of eternal life. Many were tortured to death, and it says that some women had lost their, their children and had been raised to life. We know that with Elijah and Elisha and what they did. But it says many were tortured to death that they may rise again to a better life. They had a conviction of that. And you look throughout Jewish history, there were people who said, you can kill me, but I'm going to rise again. I'm going to have eternal life. And by that faith, they lived. And it's by that faith they did good things. By that kind of faith, that kind of conviction that you can kill me, I'm going to rise again because God's going to give me new life. That is the conviction that we as Christians must have. We want to produce good. We want to have a faith that produces fruit. This is it. That's the kind of faith I really believe that needs to be behind our worship, the offerings we give to God. Another passage from Hebrews 11, verse 4 says this, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Notice this, by faith he offers a sacrifice that God asked for, therefore he was and he was commended as righteous. That's what has an effect for someone to be righteous. They act by faith. They worship by faith. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And that's what we see there in Genesis, God commending him. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That's true. Abel still speaks to us today by his example. We want to learn from him. Abel's offering is more acceptable because of his faith. It was righteous. Today, what does faith have to do with biblical commands and precepts of worship? What does that have to do with every part of our actions and how the church is organized, the things that we do? Hebrews 13 and verse 15 tells us about our offerings. In fact, I could back up to 1 Peter 2, verses 5. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5 says that the church is the temple, and we are the priest, and we are to offer up spiritual offerings to God. What are those spiritual offerings? 
Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Now, sometimes we'll say, I, I got faith, but when I come into the assembly and I come to worship, singing is just not for me. You can't say that, can you? Not as a Christian who believes. You can't simply set aside singing and praising God and say you still have faith. It doesn't work like that. In fact, the scriptures go on here in verse 16, Hebrews chapter 13, and Paul says the offerings we give to God are not only the praise and the fruit of our lips, the offerings we give to God are every good deed, sharing with others. By faith, Christians must not compromise God's ideal and Christ's infallible words. We can't change what God has made perfect and right, especially in praise to him. Here's our main passage for tonight in our exposition. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look at this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. What do we do with our faith? Do we add to it? Do we supplement it? Listen to this. Every one of these virtues are tied together. You really can't have one without the other. And you really can't grow as a Christian without having these things. And I think I need to add some context to this before I get into it. In 2 Peter, Peter is writing his last testament. He knows he's about to die. And according to history, we know that Peter was crucified upside down. That's what Nero did to him. Had him executed, had him killed. I think that's very, very reliable history. No reason to doubt it. How are Christians to sustain their faith? Well, Peter takes this time as his last testament, knowing he's about to die. And he says, before I go, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. So listen to what Peter says, verses 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. What am I going to supplement to my faith? What else does my faith need? What does biblical godly faith look like that partakes of a divine nature that God has given to us as he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness? What is this? And Peter says, this is what you do with that faith. You add to it. You supplement it with virtue. What is faith without virtue, without right living, without principles of morality? And he says, in virtue with knowledge. So I have virtue, but I don't want to really grow and continue to study my Bible, there's a problem there. He says, you need to supplement that faith with virtue and that virtue with knowledge. And what's knowledge without self-control? I can claim that I'm a Christian all day, but if I run around and do all kinds of things, live however I want in the middle of the week, it's not true, is it? And he says, knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. And there it is again. Some people will move. They'll be tossed about by winds of doctrine that come along. Anything that sounds good, they'll be willing to give up on what they already have. And that steadfastness, he says, with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So what is steadfastness if we're not godly and living a holy life? And what is living a holy life if we don't love one another? And what is loving one another if we don't love even our own enemies? All these things would be supplemented and added to our faith. This is what Peter wanted to teach before he died. Look here, verses 8 through 11. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice this. Not only do we have these, there's no state anywhere in a Christian's life when you stop adding to these things, to these qualities. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know there's a problem, there's a blindness in your life when you're no longer focused on these and you're no longer increasing and supplementing 
your faith, you will become nearsighted to the point that you cannot see and no longer think about Christ who died for you and washed away your sins. You forget about your baptism. You ignore the life that you once committed to. Look at verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling. Make sure of it. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that we're part of the kingdom that is the church, but that passage right there teaches us there is a kingdom to come that we look for, the kingdom of the Lord. And if we want it, we're going to do these things. Here again are my observations. These qualities are essential to faith. Faith takes every effort to supplement itself. Those who lack these qualities are nearsighted and blind. They do not see faith's results. Practice these qualities and you will never fall. You will make your election sure. And again, this is the entrance to the eternal kingdom of God. A little bit more on the context here of what Peter's saying. Peter wrote, because God granted all things to the church that pertain to life and godliness. This is what Peter said. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So that through these promises you can have the divine nature that comes through all that's been revealed through Jesus Christ, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." There's a lot that we can unpack right there, but the word corruption there has an idea of decay. We've got to put on and take on the divine nature of God to be able to escape that corruption and overcome sinful desire. There's a lot to think about there in that, that one passage. Peter gave these qualities in expectation of his death. So we just read that whole section of Scripture. Listen to these three verses right after that. Peter said this, Therefore I intend to remind you constantly of these things, even though you know them and are well established in the truth that you now have. In other words, these Christians knew these things. He said, I'm still going to remind you. I'm still going to preach it to you. And preachers are going to do that sometimes. They're going to preach the same thing a number of times to make sure that it's an emphatic. And here he says, Indeed, as long as I am in this tabernacle, that is his body, I consider it right to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that my tabernacle will soon be removed. What's, he gonna ha- what's gonna happen to him? He's going to die. He says, because our Lord Jesus Christ revealed this to me. And some people think back to John chapter 21, where Jesus did speak of that to Peter. Indeed, I will also make every effort that after my departure, you have a testimony of these things. What Peter's saying again, I want you to know right now, every effort I am making that you will have these qualities you will know the final things that I want you to have to add to your faith. Tonight, as we think about faith, we think about a faith that's based upon God's Word, that's based on having everything that pertains to life and godliness. Let's make a little bit further application of this and look again to those examples in the faith chapter. Consider Noah. Hebrews 11 and verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. How many men would do that today? How many men today, by faith, make sure that his household is saved? The men here, I know that we have that conviction. We need to pass that on, especially to our children and to those around us. 
And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Then look what Noah did. By faith he kept God's word and he kept it instructions and he kept every detail of it. When Noah received the instruction to make an ark that was 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high, he didn't alter that. He didn't say, well, you know what? I just, it's going to be hard to find wood to make it 300 cubits long. Let's make it 280 cubits. He didn't do that. He didn't say, you know what? I need another deck. I don't want to be so close to the animals. I need some separation from them. He didn't do that. He didn't say, I think we need another window, so I'm going to add to God's instructions. He didn't do that either. He didn't say, I think that we need another door, one in the front and the back, two on the sides. No one ever altered God's commands. By faith, he kept them and kept them perfectly. By faith, Noah constructed the ark because he wanted his family to be saved. In Genesis 6, verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. The faithful do not change God's word. They uphold it. They know that God's word is perfect. They will not compromise it. I encourage you tonight, when you think about your faith, think about how you are growing. Peter said this at the very end of that epistle. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Kind of Peter's last words. Everything would be written and here it is printed and stated in the scriptures. This is what he wanted them to do. Grow. As Christians, we look at our lives and we see that there's something wrong. We're not growing. Recently, I've been emphasizing these things we want to make sure that we're growing, that we're maturing as Christians. And I think when we look at the church when it was first committed, it says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to praying together, and to the breaking of bread. As Christians, we're here in the assembly right now. It's one way to know that you are devoted, the fact that you're a part of a church. The second thing is, is that you are growing. And Ephesians 4 tells us that means that everybody's doing their part, that we are serving one another, that we're studying with one another, we're praying with one another. And if we're not doing that, we certainly are not not going to be growing. The Bible emphasizes that. And thirdly, we need to be serving. You want an example of what you need to be doing? A lot of people ask the question, what do I need to be doing now after they've been baptized? What service can I do? Open your Bible to Romans chapter 12 and look there, verses 3 through 8, and you have a lot of examples presented. In fact, let's do that right now. Romans chapter 12. We're maturing. We're growing. We want to know that we are serving God and doing what is right. Listen to this. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, as one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy or in preaching... In the proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, that is, one who encourages in his exhortation, and the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I think we see where our role is and the things that we need to be doing, and you can read that passage and see it for yourself. I ask you tonight before we finish. What does your life say about your faith? You look back when you were born, in your childhood, and your baptism, the many years that you've lived through, people could see it all on a timeline right now. What does it say? People see your faith. And I ask you tonight, as we've read that main scripture from 2 Peter, 
How are you supplementing and sustaining your faith with the truth, with God's word? How are you holding true to it? In the very beginning, we looked at Abel. I want you to consider Cain now, the one who was unfaithful. What did God say to Cain about his offering? This is what he said in Genesis chapter 4. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Yes, it relies on us. Cain's offering was sin and without faith, without faith in God's word. Sin was crouching at the door to rule over those, and it still does, those who will change God's ideal, change worship, change the truth, who will not add to their faith, and who will not grow. We don't want any part of that. I encourage you and challenge you tonight, act by faith and not doubt. Sustain your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And tonight, if you haven't had the reward of Jesus Christ, you can receive it through baptism, through obeying the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is the Christian's hope of eternal life. Jesus said this in John 6, 39 to 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you want to part in that resurrection tonight, die to your sins. Be buried in the waters of baptism. Rise up to the newness of life. If you need encouragement tonight, if you've been sliding your faith, let us pray with you. We encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.